When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Mark, how we want to do this, huh? Well, maybe not. Maybe it's just Elijah Herbal with you on a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Is there no one else well, out there? With it, a- oh, it, there it, you it are, Mark. Well. I was getting very scared well. for a second. I'll tell you what. Listen, listen, here's the deal. I was just over there getting the coffee ready, and usually that gives me about 14 seconds, 15, 20, sometimes a minute, for Chris to do his monologue, and then I would have been fine. And then all of a sudden, I just hear the music and no Chris. Uh-oh. So it came scrambling over, and here we are. It's the Saturday morning edition of the Hale Varsity Radio Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt is en route. Apparently. Apparently. Yeah. According to text messages, we at least know that much. Um, good morning to you as well. Mr. Herbal, how are you? I'm feeling actually uh, really well this morning, so uh, I'm doing well, ready to get my Saturday underway, and uh, uh, I, I guess that's the best you could ask for. So how are you doing? We got a record heat coming today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be about 102, and so air conditioning is going to be of uh, premium importance today uh, as we get cracking. Um, and look... We've heard a lot this week, and I guess going into last week, a lot of the coaches have come on and have talked on their, uh, you know, on the on the flagship, and have talked about their position groups this year and what to expect from them. And listen while you can, because those dudes aren't going to be talking during the season. Something that has been somewhat of a tradition. This may or may not be as big of a deal to folks listening. Um, and I, I think it is a big deal. I'm not criticizing the decision. I'm just saying it is going to be very different than what we are used to. Right? We are used to at Nebraska, and it's not like this at a lot of other places. But we are we are used to hearing regularly from all of the position coaches throughout the year get to hear from the wide receivers coach talk about all the wide receivers get to hear from the o-line coach talking about backup offensive guards hey what's up with the number three inside linebacker you actually get to hear from the linebackers coach about that you hear from the secondary you you hear from those guys all the time at Nebraska, and that goes through regimes. That that goes back to T.O. Osborne did that. Solich, 
Callahan continued it. Bo, for the most part, Bo limited it a little in some years, but for the most part, not not long. I think he just did it for a few weeks when he was mad. Mike Riley let that happen. Frost continued it as well. That ain't going to happen this year. After the games, you're not going to hear from any of them. You're going to hear from just the head man. And is it the coordinators? I saw conflicting kind of things there. Yeah, so headman, coordinators, and players will be available to meet with the media this year. But you're not hearing from the assistant coaches. Mm-mm. And I think one of the reasons why that was continued, why that started and why that continued, is Nebraska's kind of unique fan expectations, I guess, to have that connection with the program. Like, nothing is off limits. Look, Nebraska fans care. We care more about backup punters <laughs> than like some programs care about starting receivers, right? Let's just it's that's just how it is here. We're a little manic. We're a little weird. We want to hear all about all the players all the time and in detail. And I, do I hear Chris? By the way, I thought I heard a little. Yeah, I've I've had a sweet morning. Uh, I should have went to bed uh, two hours earlier last night. Didn't yeah. happen, and then. You uh, you wake up at a decent time. You you punch the alarm clock, and uh, my own fault for being tardy. So, uh, well, yeah, apologies. you're ruining my soliloquy here. No, you're you're you're. Um, you're got it. Mark got it. I was not expecting. I was expecting a little small talk to get into it. And Mark just dives right. He into just this dove into the the, the assistant coaches. He came ready this morning. The assistant coaches will uh, will will not be available. My take well, on that is, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, that that that's different this year, but uh, the uh, I guess the the beer half full take on that is, well, maybe it's more of a a step in that CEO CEO role overseer uh, of Scott Frost. It's going to come from him, and it's going to come from the coordinators, and everyone will be on the same page. You've got examples in college football. We'll grab Brandon Vogel here. We're going to shift things up a bit in about uh, two minutes or three minutes. But Cranach, I mean, Bill Snyder, Nick Saban, Kirk Ferentz, I mean, those are those are three coaches, past, present, uh, future, that do it this way. And, and a lot of the Big Ten do it this way. Now, I can't tell you I didn't enjoy hearing from Travis Fisher. Uh, I can't tell you I didn't enjoy hearing from Barrett Rood. And, and we, we got to hear from them this week on the network or, or last week on the network. But, man, it was mm-hmm. it, it, it was great. It was just more insight from guys that, that are in that room. So I, I, I really appreciated that. But And, and it, more hype. Yeah. And, and maybe, Be honest. Like, it, it looked like a Mickey Joseph. Yeah, Mickey's, Mickey's like, great. Dynamic. Yeah, Big you'd time. love to hear from the guy. Why and, is and Bill Bush. Why is so and so not playing more, Mickey? It, it just hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> and you get to hear from those guys. And he'd he'd tell me, and would it be different than what the head coach would would tell me? I I don't know. But here's what I think is here's here's I think a factor. Okay. And again, I don't disagree with the decision. I think it's it's, it's okay because it is it's kind of the norm in a lot of programs, right? The, so the the positives of doing that of having your lieutenant speak regularly is that you just get more information to the fans. And that's, I mean, that's really the only positives about it. 
there's not it doesn't like help the program right it, it doesn't it helps the fans it's an, it's another voice it's more insight yeah it helps us it's cool it helps the writers it helps the radio folks it helps the tv there's just more sound bites more variety there's more insight but it kind of bit nebraska a few times look look if, yeah. if you could you could have forecast like, if you didn't know there was a rift between Scott Frost and Greg Austin, all you had to do was listen to their contradictory words <laughs> during post games. Scott, why aren't we running the ball better? Ask Greg Austin. Greg, why aren't we running the ball better? Well, let me, let me, let me call a damn uh, running drill during practice, and, and maybe we'll get better at running the football. <laughs> I mean... those, dudes, those dudes were basically just having a cat fight via the media. Oh, like in hindsight, when you go, when you think think about it, I mean, really, you, you had Greg Austin just essentially calling out his boss, and then his boss kind of essentially calling him. It was just like, come on, man. We, you know, and then how many times would it happen too, where there would be a question to Scott Frost, he'd be like, I don't know, you're gonna have to ask Coach fill in the blank about that because I was focused. No, on I'm asking you because you're the head coach, right? <laughs> Well, I'm, so worried I'm worried about offense. I'm worried about offense. You talk to the guy that's responsibility. Yeah, now, right. totally, you know, well, you know, point noted, coach. But you know, this this will will sure up some some inconsistencies. The the hope is that it's all on the same page. It's one one voice, and and there you go. But it's a step in the the CEO well, role. That's, that's hey, how hey, I'm going to read it. And here's one thing that'll that'll happen too. I, I hope he brings back the very famous Tom Osborne line. I believe it was on the uh, Tom Osborne show hosted by Bill Dolman back in the day. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I believe it was there. It could have been on the radio. I can't remember exactly where it was. But he would get asked about, you know, Bart Blinkman from, you know. Cozad. Binkleman or whatever. And Tom would be like, well, he... He's in the program and doing a good job. <laughs> and that was that was <laughs> that was, you know, Osborne speak for I I don't have a clue who you're talking about. I think I've seen that kid. I think he's probably <laughs> it no, was just, here's the thing. Tio well, the program. Tio knew his family. Tio knew where he is from. Tio knew what kind of dog he had. All right. <laughs> but he, he just did. He probably didn't know about the, you know, the fifth string. I, you know, scout I don't know. team. Let's let's bring in Brandon center. Vogel. Uh, Vogel, yay or nay? Hot or cold? Did Tio know about the fifth string uh, long snapper back in 1986? I mean, I, I'm betting yes. I'm betting your money and my money that that Tio knew all names, all family members, all pets, and yeah, he could he could maybe give you a generality on the the Tom Osborne show. But uh, he, he he had his eye in the sky, uh, walking around practice. I'm gonna I'm gonna fade your bet slightly. Uh, we might need to define the <laughs> define the terms more specifically because I'm guessing he probably knew him. But you know, when your roster back then was like 400 kids deep, <laughs> I don't know if right. you can be the, if you can be the head coach. I mean, it might be dereliction of duty to be that involved with the fifth string long snapper. That's that's my theory. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair yeah. Enough. And and as the offensive coordinator, you know, you you start talking about, I don't know, 
fourth string nose guard. Eh, you might not have you might not have a lot of details there. Now, Brenda, did did you read when you first heard that the assistants would not be talking with the media as much as they have or at, at all compared to how they have done so in the past? Um, that's I mean that's during the week during practices it's after games. When, when you heard that that was no longer going to be the case, what was your immediate reaction? And it, just what is your take on it in general? Um, my immediate reaction, I would say, is, is mild chagrin. Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe uh, I'm, I'm not being a, a good journalist here, but I, I fall somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I like hearing from those, those assistant coaches. It definitely... Um, makes our coverage, you know, not just tail varsity, but everybody who works in this, the Nebraska media space, I think it makes coverage better. Um, it provides richer stories for fans. That is all true. That said, like, if the fans don't ultimately care that much, which, you know, and I don't know what the divide is there. I've seen comments to, to both sides of that. Um, if the fans don't care, like, for me personally, I'm like, we'll be fine. Like we'll figure out a way. This is, this is how it is. You know, it could be 10 years down the road a new coach comes in and that's just how it is all the time. I mean, you're, you're kind of at their whim. So I'm like, uh, I, I'm not going to, to throw my arms up and say, well, oh, this is, this is a, a terrible loss. It is a loss. Um, but you got you know, <laughs> that's how it goes. You play by their rules. And if that's, that's how it's going to be, well, you just got to figure it out and get a little bit more creative in some cases. Brandon Vogel's with us here Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, I think you were on the line listening whenever we were talking about the, the, the infighting it almost felt like between a coach like Greg Austin and Scott Frost. And while we may have overstated that just slightly, do you think that is actually a, a factor here and why the assistants won't be speaking with the media here? That uh, sometimes assistant coaches got up in front of the media last season and said conflicting things. Um, maybe that's part of it. I mean, there was certainly some, some tension there. I mean, we, we know now we don't have to worry about that because Pitt's head coach said Nebraska's not going to run the ball. So that won't be an issue. But I think, <laughs> um, um, I, I think what you had here was, okay, there's a change. You, you've got new coaches on staff. It feels like a little bit of turning a new page. And when you already have turned a new page, well, it's kind of a way to, slide some other changes in there that maybe you that would have been your preference all along that would be my guess as to what's happening here Bogues you uh, shifted over to the Whipple Narduzzi spat more one-sided and and, uh, Youngstown's finest doubled down later in the week on not only the Big Ten and SEC but, but also just what his program is and I was It's kind of a car wreck I was watching where the guys had a win at Clemson early in his tenure. Uh, He he went out of his comfort zone from the D'Antonio defensive coordinator gig to to finally getting a head job. And then you fast forward to now on the heels of an 11-3 where you had a New Year's Day 6 bowl. And then you just start opening fire on on a guy who put up 41 points for you. And you've been through and now on your your fifth OC. What did you make of it? Did did he have a point? Do you hear his words and go, yeah, that's that's a defensive coach taken up for 
not hanging his guys out to dry with with a, a tempo offense, or did he seem kind of like a jackass uh, and uh, and a little ungrateful because of what Pitt jumped to? I mean, it's been a long time since Altorti Dorsett was was claiming the Heisman, right? It's been a long time since the Alex Van Pelt era, for God's sake. And, and Pitt's, Pitt was a, a, a top ten team. He just seemed really bitter and in. Kind of crass, quite honestly. Not, man, look where we're at, look what we did. Uh, but, man, the, the OC was in my way. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, I appreciate his honesty, but, man, he seemed like a baby. Yeah, I, I, I too, filled in the bubble next to uh, answer B on that one. It's... <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't get it. Like, why why are we talking about this now? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure he was asked, you know, somewhat specifically. But like, his pit tenure, from my view, and granted, I don't follow pit football daily, but it's going really well. Mm-hmm. They played for two ACC championships. You know, who was who was the coach there before him? Paul Christ, who really wasn't, in my view, gaining a ton of traction. I remember when he came into the Big Ten, and I was like, all right, I get it. I mean, you know, he's kind of as Wisconsin as you can get, and it worked. You know, credit to, to Barry Alvarez and whoever else was in on that decision. Like, because you took a guy who was kind of middling the pit, and he's been great at Wisconsin, uh, in, in my opinion. Narduzzi takes over as first-time head coach at Pitt, and he's, he's elevated that. And, you know, they're <laughs> – the ACC is a, a strange conference in that regard because it is, you know, Clemson, gigantic gap, and everybody else. But Pitt's towards the top of that everybody else, I think, coming off their their recent run. And he's churned through OCs there, as, as you've mentioned. You know, it might just be a case of, of someone who we know, like, his, his reputation coming from Michigan State as a D.C. was, you know, as good as you're going to find for a coordinator – and maybe that's just kind of his default setting. Is like I, I love defense. Like you, you set up the chessboard for me, and, and I'll beat you. Um, and if he could play a full time game that was only defense, maybe that was his preference. So it's hard to know if any offense is, is truly going to uh, be what Narduzzi wants, or if it's just kind of in the way of getting his guys back on the field. You know, and and it's not the first time that Pat Narduzzi has talked about outgoing staff members and other staff members. He's kind of, he's a different cat. He's a different cat out there in the ACC for Pitt. Um, you know, to, to get back to not being able to hear from the assistant coaches. Now you will be able to in fall camp. So this is during the season. You're going to hear from Chenander. You're going to hear from Whipple. You're going to hear from Frost. Um, but that's kind of it. How, how will that change the, the coverage that we see. And do you think it will have that intended effect of Frost just trying to kind of limit the variables and the amount of stuff he has to deal with? Um, Do you think maybe that is probably one of the bigger reasons why he made this move is that he's no longer going to have to answer for what insert coach here said and maybe he didn't want him to say, or maybe he disagrees with, or whatever, and they just can keep stuff in-house and limit the amount of crap he has to deal with? Yeah, I think that's that's the objective. And I think it'll, I think it'll work 
Um, I mean, it, it, it should in theory. Um, you just have less variables in, you know, in terms of the coverage itself. I think when players are made available, they might get, you know, a few more specific questions about, about their position group or a, a specific play or a specific stretch in a game that, you know, in the past maybe you reserved for to talk to the O-line coach or the linebackers coach or whatever it may be. Um, but overall, so you still have that, you know, linebacker could say, oh, I thought I was supposed to be in the B-gap, and, you know, <laughs> maybe that was entirely wrong. But you, you limited it, eliminated it from the 10 other coaches on the staff. So it should, I think, work to, to reduce that and kind of streamline the process a little bit. You know, you'll have – we'll see what in-season uh, availabilities look like, but you'll have that big Monday press conference that we all watch, every, you know, every Monday during lunch. And and that'll kind of be be it for a little bit until you get that, that Thursday update if the schedule remains relatively the same. So I think it will definitely streamline kind of the process. And like I said, you know, just have to kind of get a little bit more inventive and creative with the stories that everyone's pursuing to fill out the week. Brandon Vogel's with us here, a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, we got Big Ten Media Days going down next week, and uh, I want to get your take on the three that Nebraska are, are sending along with Coach Frost. It's uh, Quentin Newsom, Garrett Nelson, and Travis Vokalek. When, when you hear those three, uh, where does your mind go in terms of, uh, I guess, team leadership and, and why these three are going to be the three that are representing the team? Yeah, so Garrett Nelson felt like a, a, a little bit of a – he would have been number one draft pick for me if, if, I, were, if I were choosing these three. So I wasn't surprised to, to see him go. And I think, I think he'll kind of come out of Big Ten media. I mean, Garrett has a big personality. Um, he's, he's a ton of fun to interview. And he's also, you know, a player who's drawing a ton of preseason buzz um, nationally. Uh, so I think it's it's going to be a, a great a great event for him. Offensively, you know, when we, we kind of got the Big Ten schedule and amongst our staff were handicapping who we thought would go, I, I thought Vogelet could be in there. You, you look at the offense and how much new there is. Um, he's kind of your your steady presence on on that side. So not surprised to see him going. Also, you know, he's. he's been someplace else in the conference, which adds you know a little bit of a wrinkle to just people talking to him at an event for the entire Big Ten, and then and Newsom was the one that that surprised me. I think Nebraska had a lot of good options defensively. Ty Robinson is somebody who we've seen uh, be up front and and speak pretty regularly last season. You've got the the two inside linebackers who are obviously really really good players. I mean, truthfully, Nebraska could have sent. 75% of its linebacking core, and, and that would have made sense to me. It wouldn't have been great because you wouldn't have anybody on offense to talk to, but uh, those players have, have earned it and are kind of out there as, as three of Nebraska's best. Newsom getting looped into that group I think is an encouraging sign because what have we heard all offseason? You know, mostly from Travis Fisher, and Fisher is a competition always kind of guy, but He's talked about how much he needs Newsom to to be that guy uh, with everything Nebraska has to replace in the secondary. I think this is at least a, a initial acknowledgement that to this point he is he is assuming that role. Brandon Vogel's with us. It's Hale Varsity Weekend presented by the Nebraska Lottery at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter's where you follow him. Managing editor with Hale Varsity. 
Uh, Vogues, uh, I want to look at the, the, the Big Ten West and the, the quarterbacks. You have a number of uh, returning quarterbacks. You got Illinois with uh, uh, their guy. <laughs> Uh, you have Iowa, you have Minnesota, Wisconsin. I mean, everybody, it seems like, except for Holinsky at Northwestern, you have, uh, you have some, some familiar faces, and, of course, Nebraska's situation. Of the West, uh, O'Connell at Purdue, what, uh, what, what team can survive average quarterback play the best? I mean, who's, who could emerge uh, in spite of their quarterback in the West? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, <laughs> Iowa did it last year. It maybe survived more than than average quarterback play last year. And just with, with how it's structured, I think it's always going to be a top con- candidate. It's built that way. It, it is built to succeed a pretty low threshold for what it needs from its offense. So that's, that's probably number one. Um, Minnesota is is a little bit that way. You know, Morgan's interesting if you're if you're just kind of ranking the returning or the presumed starters in the West behind O'Connell. I think Morgan might be my number two, um, and he's he's really steady. And then occasionally, it's happened twice against Nebraska. I think uh, occasionally, like blacks out for sixty minutes and completes eighty percent of his passes and, and has an amazing game. <laughs> So I, I, I think most teams in the Big Ten West would take with what Tanner Morgan has given over the past, what, four seasons, three seasons. Um, so so those two are right there. Wisconsin's an interesting one because, you know, Mertz came in with all of the, the fanfare and had that near-perfect debut in 2020, and, and it hasn't been the same since. And he really struggled early last year uh, and then kind of turned it around, and Wisconsin did. So, so where's where's he at? Uh, Wisconsin's one of those teams, classically, that you think of that okay, they can probably get by with a fairly average level, and maybe they maybe they still can. Um, but I think Wisconsin's ceiling might be set this season by well, they got to replace a ton on defense first. But uh, how good how good can Mertz be? And, and Nebraska wrote about the quarterbacks on Thursday and I wrote about them in a group of three. Um, we all kind of know, I think what the odds are here for who starts that first game. But I think if Nebraska can get to a point where it can be a little bit more quarterback independent, uh, that's where it needs to be because you can look back really to the start of the Taylor Martinez era and say it's had to rely on the, both excellence and limitations in some cases of its quarterback, it's it's all run through the quarterback for Nebraska for the past decade plus. And, you know, getting away from that, particularly in this division and this conference, I think is, is where Nebraska needs to get to. Can they get there this year? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Brandon Vogel with us on Hale Varsity Radio. And just one more thing before, before we get you out of here, Brandon. Um, in 35 days, Nebraska is kicking off with Northwestern on a different continent, uh, across the pond in Ireland. And we're not trying to take credit, but I'm just wondering, do you do you remember? It was like 2017. I had a friend over from Ireland, and we were talking about the Ireland game and started kind of tweeting at College Football Ireland. And remember they started reacting when there was just sort of like a, hey, 
Karnak wants credit for, a lot for of Irish people Ireland. in Nebraska. Like, you should consider booking Nebraska for this game. And then it actually happened. Look, we're not going to take full credit. But in your, from your recollection, don't you think there's like partial credit here for the Hale Varsity show to kind of get this ball rolling? I, I, I do believe that, and I've been, you know, uh, reaching out to our, our media contacts over there to see if we can be recognized at halftime. Um, <laughs> not as, like like you said, not, not as the the reason this happened, but just as a contributor. I, I think that would be nice. Um, if we could get a plaque in the press box, I, I think that would be good. I would appreciate all of the, you know, rugby, Gaelic football, hurling, Daily workday reporters showing up there and be like, well, "What is this? Why is this brass plaque here?" Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think any of that's too much because you're right. We were we were in on the ground floor on this. Now, Brandon, let's get it the ball rolling now. When Nebraska plays internationally again, where should it be? Where, where, where do you want to go? Check out the Huskers playing. Oh, um, <laughs> well, it would be it would be a return trip. Uh, you know, one of the great regrets is that. Uh, well, I mean, I was. 14 years old at the time, but I, I would love if Nebraska were to play in Tokyo, mostly just because I want to go to Tokyo. Um, so that's that's far and away an easy an easy pick for me. Um, if, if we're going European again, uh, this hasn't happened yet, but I think based on the number of recruits that you're starting to see come from Europe, I think Germany, um, which Frankfurt Galaxy was, was kind of the premier program in the World League back in the day, um, I, I I also really enjoy visiting Germany. So, give me a give me a, a Munich, a Berlin, um, something along those lines, and I'd be pretty happy. How about this Munich in October? Boom! Perfect. Love it. <laughs> well, and we will not get into the Bob Devaney international incident in uh, Tokyo uh, that that may or may not have happened. Vogue's, uh, How about in- Nebraska versus Rutgers and Lebanon? <laughs> <laughs> Because who doesn't want to go to Lebanon? It's beautiful that time of year. Vogues, enjoy. Uh, hugs to your family. And uh, we will uh, see you in Indy, brother. All right. Thanks, like guys. There he is. Brandon Vogel with us. Uh, our rewind will come up here in about 20 minutes or so with uh, Brett Sianka uh, from Pick 6 Previews. His take on the Huskers and Big Ten West. Gary Sharp in less than an hour. Guys, that was a good way to kick it off. Uh, Uncle Kelly emails in chris at hailvarsity.com. Hail Varsity absolutely deserves a participation trophy for, uh, for, for making this Ireland thing happen. Cranach, I have been efforting to find November 4th, 2017, that edition of Hail Varsity Radio with our dear friend Ted, uh, who made an appearance on the show. I think it was a Saturday morning edition before the, uh, the tough Northwestern game. Yeah, and he's he's trying to hook us up. We'll, we'll hear about it more as as we get closer to the closer to the time frame. But there's some work happening as we speak to to land where the Hail Varsity show will be. And early returns, Ooh. early returns are that it could be at a place called the Mary Cobbler. Yes, we're a uh, nice little classic Irish pub that has like the classic signage that you would imagine an Irish pub would have that is walking distance to the stadium. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. That'll be good. A quick timeout. More hour two, hour one. Uh, jumping ahead of myself, it's Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity. 
and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at hailvarsity.com. Just go to hailvarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Early to rise with Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back with you, it's the weekend edition. It's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. Big thanks to Brandon Vogel for getting things going this first hour. Uh, coming up here, Brett Sianka. Pick six previews and uh, the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, will join us. Numbers to get in, uh, uh, open phone lines for you here the next 20 minutes at 466 37 Seven six or one eight hundred eight two five five eight six five. Can find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore Radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. Can for sure email the show Chris at HaleVarsity dot com. So Cranach, we we touched on some of the stories of the week. That was Narduzzi v Whipple. Also the uh, the assistant coaches uh, kind of off the board here during the the, the season. We are. Uh, 35 days away from kickoff with Big Ten Media Days just around the corner. And when we talk about Nebraska going into Indy and just the storyline in Nebraska, I mean, it's it, it's up there where you have, first and foremost, conference expansion. Kevin Warren will address things on Tuesday. When you, you get to adding USC and UCLA, that's no small feat. You have the uh, reality of is Michigan here to stay or does Ohio State bounce back? Uh, quarterbacks are always intriguing in the league, but Nebraska will be a, a, a big storyline the fifth year of Scott Frost and what an opportunity for, for Nebraska to, to, to change that conversation about where they've been versus where they can go. And it's it's really intriguing with with all those new faces, and it, it comes on the heels of a eleven and two roster reset by by Mel Tucker, and he showed you could do it. Aside from the Ohio State game, Michigan State had a a great season. Purdue stung a couple of really good teams last year when you look at Iowa and Michigan State, but for the most part, Sparty uh, is going to be a storyline. They're just kind of on the periphery when we talk about some of the big stories, but Nebraska will be up there as well. And I'm, in, I'm interested here that, that, that opening soiree to, uh, to just kind of see where the rest of the league is talking about and, and pointing at Nebraska here with uh, the pressure that, that is real this season, but also the opportunity based on, you know, that, uh, that slim margin of error that Nebraska was unable to navigate last year. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of been a similar story with Nebraska for, and uh, Elijah, by the way, I just, I do have a little echo in my ear from myself, just throwing that out there. If there's anything you could do, if not, I will soldier on. That's why they pay me the big bucks. When does the check come? Um, But I'm curious about, if it'll be different for Nebraska this year than most years where it's 
Look, generally, Nebraska's storyline is a lot of talent. They've recruited better than anybody else in the West. You know, they're bringing, they have a, you know, for a couple of years anyways, it was, you got kind of an innovative coaching staff and a different approach to offense than a lot of the other teams. So Nebraska's always been kind of this outlier, plus has seemingly had more talent than anybody in the West. And is oftentimes picked among the top in the West to win it. And then the season starts and the season ends and Nebraska is nowhere near the top. So will this be different? You know, I think is probably the the bigger question, because, again, you look at it on paper in terms of star power for recruits or, or folks you have on the rosters for, for transfers, whatever you want to say. Uh, Nebraska ranks right up there personnel wise on paper. And that that has been the case for a while, um, but it hasn't translated. So. You do wonder maybe the patience level and the level of questioning that Frost will get um, about kind of from the outside looking in. It sort of looks like a bit of a desperate plea or a desperate play by, you know, firing half your staff, bringing in an all new staff and then bringing in what, 15 transfers. That's a huge number. And got probably eight to 10 of those guys will figure into the two deep right away. So it's a. Nebraska is an outlier once again, but for different reasons. How's that echo sounding now, Mark, by the way? Um, you know, I think it's all solved, Elijah. Bless you for that. Look at that. No, no, it's not. I just heard myself again. Well, soldier on. What do you do? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, all right, this is what is on paper. It needs to translate on the, onto the field and it's, been that way for Nebraska. I mean, routinely they've been top three or four in the league, more so fourth. Uh, when you when it comes to what they've recruited, they've they've been behind Ohio State, they've been behind Michigan, they've been behind Penn State, and and that's all right. It's it's really okay when you look at population base. Now Nebraska is having a banner year uh, with in-state prospects for twenty twenty three. And the uh, the talent level continues to rise in this state, but it's it's time to um, to to produce for Nebraska, and uh, they have an opportunity to do so because things have. It's never easy to go get a win in college football, but it's a little bit more manageable this year with the schedule, and based on the talent you've brought in, you you should do better than you do worse against your own division opponents. Your crossover schedules, Rutgers, and it's Indiana. <laughs> and, yeah, it's at Michigan. But you, you avoid Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan for the first time in quite a while. Well, you have Michigan. But I'm saying those three. Okay, okay. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's doable. Nebraska just hasn't got it done. But I'm... You know, I'm I'm intrigued here by the offensive line. I'm intrigued by the quarterback options. And assuming the offensive line does take a step forward, uh, that run game could could help complement. Back to, to Whipple here for a moment. You know, Cranach and Elijah, I think there's a there's a good possibility where Nebraska may go a little Green Bay and 
and that is use the passing game to uh, to set up their run game. And and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with throwing the football. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer to pound away on somebody so it's a, a fourth quarter repeat of the Orange Bowl. Just how we grew up watching Nebraska football, but football's just different now. And um, all these minds got to come together, and all this talent needs to uh, get coached up and and perform. Young, old, or somewhere in that gray area of guys that have have been on campus, and and they need to keep getting better. That's that's my big thing. Is with Riola. You know, Nebraska on paper, again, recruited really well. They went and got a guy like Ben Hard, who the rest of the Big Ten West wanted on their offensive line. And, and can, can Ben Hart make some strides? Can Hickson have a, have a great sixth season and win that center job? And can you get guys to play fast and furious on the, uh, the tackle spot with this new mentality? And it really comes down to confidence, Cranach. Can this team... Um, when it comes to crunch time, play confidently and and deliver. I mean, that's that's going to be the tale of 2022 for me. Well, and I think what you mentioned about the offensive line is, is huge because it, there is a whole bunch of high-level talent in that room, and you, you sit here and you go, now, are, are there, why are multiple high-level four-stars not living up to their potential along the offensive line? Is it because the, the scouting services got it wrong? Or is it because they weren't being used correctly within the offense? They, they weren't being coached up. They weren't being uh, implemented in a role that's going to fit them well. And, and I think that's more where my mind goes whenever you have a, a high-level guy like Turner Corcoran, the whole world wanted, or Bryce Benhart, mm-hmm. the whole world wanted. Why aren't these guys living up to their potential? It, it, I don't think it's because these guys uh, physically can't cut it in the Big Ten. I, I don't think it's that I think they're all. good football players. I think they're good football players. I think they've committed themselves to the weight room and to building themselves into the, the body types that are needed to, to compete in the Big Ten, but there's still a disconnect between that and their performance on the field. Now, I think that's why is there is still some optimism around this offensive line because uh, if one guy doesn't pan out the way you, you want it to, uh, you go, okay, not, not everyone can be a high-level college football player. Things happen. But whenever there's multiple guys along the offensive line that you're convinced about from their freshman year on, um, or I guess from whenever they, they first step foot on campus through their freshman year, you kind of go, yeah, th- this guy looks the part. Um, he's going to be a high-level Big Ten offense lineman. It doesn't happen. It makes you wonder about the coaching in that room, I, I think, at least under uh, Greg Austin. I, I guess I can say the name. It makes you wonder, like, well, what's going on in that room? You know, Cranach, last thought on, on my part with the O-line. The, 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 the truth is this. Nebraska's <laughs> put guys out there really early in their career. What do we talk about with the lines of scrimmage? It's like uh, the, the ficus plan you have in your office, right? Uh, eventually that thing gets out of control. You keep watering it when it grows up. Well, Nebraska's played a lot of young guys, <laughs> ready or not. And you're going to take your lumps and hopefully you turn into something good. You saw that with, with the Cam Jurgens when they moved him to center. But back in the day, I mean, it was, it was year three after two years of constant drilling that a guy like a Rob Zadiska got to start. Mm. You know, where you red shirt and then you have your freshman year by your red shirt sophomore year, you, you start getting into that too deep. And then by your, by your junior year, you're, you're starting. Um, Nebraska... Felt like the the best people to go with were, were some of those young offensive linemen, 
and maybe what you don't count on or you, you hope doesn't happen is that confidence gets shaken when you're thrown out there at an early age and you're not able to, to compete at the level that you're you're hyped up to compete at. Yeah, and look, coming into this year, Ben Art, it'll be what, his third year mm-hmm. playing a lot? Um, Corcoran will be his second year playing a lot. Trent Hickson has, you know, he started a couple years ago. At the guard spot, you got a couple of players that have, you know, whether it's Ethan Piper or um, Henry, Henry Lutovsky would, I guess, be the one guy that hasn't played a lot. Uh, Prohaska played a couple games last year and looked to hold that down. So you're, you're bringing back guys that have some experience for the most part, let alone some of the transfers that have come in that have a chance to, like a Kevin Williams, maybe like a Hunter Anthony, uh, that have played quite a bit of football in their day too. So y- you do have options from from that standpoint. And you're right, offensive line out of any position – especially in the Big Ten, feels like unless you are ungodly talented, you know, like some of the five stars that Ohio State and Michigan get, um, you, you, you really do have to develop. You have to eat your way into that position. You have to lift your way into that position. And like Elijah said, I feel like they have done that. I, I don't think you're looking at slobs there, right? You got You got good frames. You got guys that are experienced. You got guys that are body-wise ready to go. And so I guess we will get a better look this year at whether or not the instruction and coaching or philosophy that they were uh, under the tutelage of, you know, maybe was part of the issue. Scott Frost seems to think so. He made that move. So I think you'll see right away whether or not – look, because you're not going to have time. It's it's not going to be a thing, well, well, let Donovan get his program in there. Let Riola figure it out with his guys. That's not even – it's not an option. They got to be able to play right away. And I think we'll know pretty quickly, especially against a Northwestern team that will likely get their defense right compared to last year. Um, that's been the one constant with Pat Fitzgerald. Last year was an aberration. They're pretty stout defensively and they make you earn things, which means your offensive line better be on point. I think we'll get a good look very early at whether or not that gamble's paying off. It's Mark Cranach, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Hour two on the way at Tale Varsity Radio Weekend. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Let's preview some Big Ten action, some Husker football. Brett Siaka with his pick six previews to talk some Huskers and Big Ten. Brett, good to spend time with you. Thanks for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's exciting to be talking about the 2022 season. I just released my 11th annual season preview book, first time in hard copy form after a decade of PDF only. So excited to see that come to life in paper form. Um, and, uh, yeah, excited to break it down and what's going to be a very competitive Big Ten West. Well, you can go to pick6previews.com to find info there at pick6previews on uh, social media on Twitter to get your hard copy ordered. And, uh, Brett, you've been doing this uh, a long time. You love jumping in on Power 5 programs. Uh, We always talk about the Big Ten West being wide open with uh, a lot of leans towards Wisconsin because historically they've been the team that's done it. I know Iowa went to the Big Ten title game last year. Uh, when you look at this upcoming 2022 season, you know what do you make of the West? Who specifically? Before we get to, to Nebraska, who sticks out? Uh, what, what what's the the gap like between who your favorite is and and who's in contention? It seems like there's a lot of log jam going on with the West usually. Oh, absolutely! It's a it's a very competitive division, one that gets overlooked nationally. Honestly, I I'd like a lot of these programs. Had a chance to talk to a lot of the head coaches, uh, PJ Fleck, um, Jeff Brom, and Brett Bielema. Um, but uh, yeah, so I have Wisconsin winning it. Uh, they're a proven product year in and year out, especially on defense. I know they lose a lot of starters, but uh, Jim Leonard, one of the best defensive coordinators in the game, and uh, really the offense clicked when they found Braylon Allen, their freshman running back last year, and you're going to see that again, the usual Wisconsin big power running attack. Uh, But from there, it was really wide open for second, and I cover all 66 Power 5 programs myself. I do all the conferences myself. So the hardest one, I think, was trying to find a second-place team in the Big Ten West because I could make the argument for Nebraska, for Minnesota, for Iowa, and Purdue – uh, all really strong teams, and I think they're trending in the right direction. I ultimately picked uh, Nebraska for for number two in the West, and um, we'll we'll break it down between those four. But very competitive spot, and one of the hardest divisions to analyze. Brett, before we get to Nebraska, can you quickly take me through Wisconsin? I mean, a lot of people have been saying that this offense needs Graham Mertz to take a step in 2022 if they want to win the Big Ten West. Do you think that's a, that's a fair assessment? And is Graham Mertz a guy that can take a, a, a jump in order to lead that offense? So I think that, yeah, at Wisconsin, you don't need a guy that's going to put up 40 touchdowns and put up 5,000 yards and uh, really air it out. You just need competent play. You need to minimize the turnovers uh, and stay ahead of the chains. And I know that sounds simplistic, but that's really what has been Wisconsin's formula for 20 years. And uh, you started to see that. Uh, You started to see him grow. So in September and October, the first two months of the season, he only threw three touchdowns through seven picks, three-seven. But uh, over, over November in the bowl, it shifted to 7-4, touchdowns to picks. So uh, he started to improve. He finished uh, over the back half of the year in the top five in Big Ten quarterback rating. Um, I think that he takes a step forward. And, um, but, yeah, the, the key for them is their rushing attack. Braylon Allen, like I mentioned, an All-American candidate there, definitely all-conference caliber. And then it's this, uh, this so-called grit factory, as they call their defense, uh, under Jim Leonard. It's a 3-4 base. And um, I know they lose, like I said, a lot of guys to the NFL, but – no, it's a proven product over there. They reload every single year. And they were right there behind Georgia as the best defense in the country last year. Brett Sianka with us, Sale Varsity Radio, Pick 6 previews, talking uh, Big Ten football, the West race. And let's get into Nebraska. How did Nebraska end up number two? Uh, what are some of the, um, the attributes they have that, that made Nebraska the, the, the pick for you in a competitive division? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I do my advanced stats, my game grader formula that pr- breaks it down further than just the win-loss record, and I'm watching four screens for 14 hours every Saturday in the fall. I try and catch it all. 
uh, you know, watching spring games and everything. And, and Nebraska is really a case study from last year. They went 3-9, and nine, but eight one-score losses. It's an NCAA record. You watch them. They move the ball so well per play. You know, the yardage per play metrics were all great. It's just they struggled and were terrible in the turnover department and in the red zone. They couldn't cash that into points. Um, but, you know, it's, they made a couple changes. I really like the transfer class coming in. It's a top-10 transfer class. And uh, they were better than the record showed last year. And I think they have a higher ceiling than the other contenders with Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue. Um, with Iowa, they're limited by their, their offense, really struggles, and it's the same core of guys again. I just don't see that changing for them. Uh, Minnesota's got to reload both lines, offensive line and defensive line. And then Purdue loses their two star players. They're All-Americans, David Bell, receiver, and Karloftis, the end on defense. So with Nebraska, I just see a higher ceiling. I see things trending in their direction. They're the highest recruiters, the best transfer class. Um, and, again, the turnovers thing, I know it's been a decade-plus of bad turnover luck, but it's just got to start to shift over there. You know, we were talking, Whipple, before we, we jumped on with you, and uh, you, you uh, like you said, you've studied all, all the programs. And uh, what's your take on, on his offense, what was done at Pitt with some great talent over there, transitioning and translating to Lincoln with some of that talent? Have you been able to – uh, project a little bit here with that Whipple effect? Yeah, there's a couple things here. When I first saw the hire, I was shocked, quite honestly, because uh, you look at the two offensive schemes and personas of Scott Frost and Mark Whipple. They're polar opposites in the sense of Frost is very run-heavy. He's option. You see all that zone reads and RPOs and stuff. And then with, uh, with Whipple, it's very pass-heavy. Uh, he was, they were extremely pass-heavy at Pittsburgh last year. Um, and even before that, when he was a head coach at UMass, they were, I think, one of the most pass-heavy in, in America. So uh, how will that those two schemes mesh together? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, they, they really played vanilla in the spring game. Uh, Thompson only had maybe three pass attempts in the whole game. So, um, But, uh, yeah, but you got to give Whipple credit. He turned Kenny Pickett into a Heisman finalist. I mean, this is a guy that they wanted to run out of town a few seasons ago and uh, really helped develop him, and he's an NFL pick, high pick. So you, you hope to see a similar transition here. You want to have a more competent pass game in Nebraska. Uh, you want to attack the intermediate zone of the field a bit more, more vertical shots. When you watch Nebraska, a lot of their passes are just to the sidelines. It's a lot of horizontal passing. And uh, when you have a guy like Wondell Robinson, maybe you break a couple, but uh, it's just repetitive and, and there's no downfield threat. So I think Whipple will bring that. Um, you have a quarterback with, I think, a little bit more zip on the ball than Martinez, but does lose maybe a step uh, in a foot race behind Martinez. But uh, it's just a different skill set. And, um, you know, Casey Thompson, he led the Big 12 in passing last year. So you bring in a veteran and a proven guy. Now, really the only team we've seen since we've gone to an East-West format in the Big Ten that's done well in the Big Ten West has been Purdue under Jeff Brom. And even then, I'm not sure it's fair to call them a, a pass-heavy team, even though that was what they specialized in. So do you think it's possible for a team to go out and do well in the Big Ten West, even win the Big Ten West, with a system that is potentially going to be focused on the pass game as opposed to the run game? Yeah, I mean, if you have the athletes to pull it off, um, you know, I, I think that when you see teams go pass heavy, if they have the arsenal at receiver and a, and a quarterback that takes care of the ball and can get it anywhere on the field, yeah, sure. I mean, look at LSU as an example. I know this is an extreme example, but you're talking about the rugged SEC West and, uh, you know, decades of being a smash-mouth power-eye offense. They open it up and they unlock all that five-star talent at receiver. They bring in the right trigger man with Burrow, and uh, they win a national title. Now, that's an extreme case, but it just goes to show that if you have receiver talent, if you have that upper echelon quarterback, uh, it really doesn't matter. You can, you can go whatever you want and, uh, and, and unlock that talent. 
But uh, with Nebraska, yeah, there are some concerns, or at least I'll say uh, uncertainties. I, I don't know uh, that they're a concern. It's just not proven yet with uh, the receivers on the outsides. There's some potential there. I like bringing in Trey, uh, Trey Palmer from LSU. Uh, that was a big haul by Mickey Joseph there. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it's a different skill set, a different kind of scheme, and we're going to see how it meshes. It's going to be interesting. Brett Sianca is with us here. Pick 6 Previews talking Nebraska. It's Hale Varsity Radio at Pick 6 Previews, where you can find him on Twitter, pick6previews.com, where you can go and get the paperback edition, the 2022 college football preview, and we're hitting on the West. Schedule-wise, is there a team that has a more favorable schedule in your eyes in the West? Yeah, there are two, and it kind of helped me pick Nebraska. One of them is Nebraska. Um, you know, after a decade of drawing Ohio State in the protected cross-division rivalry game, it's a, it's a really tough draw Nebraska's had to deal with every season. But that finally goes away. Uh, when you look at the top three over there of uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Nebraska only hits one of them. Uh, all other contenders have to hit one or two, um, especially when you factor in Michigan State. Everyone, everyone hits two except for Nebraska and Purdue. So. The two schedule boosts that I saw were Nebraska and Purdue uh, when you look across division. But, um, yeah, I think that's a welcomed uh, change for Nebraska. It's not to say that you're shying away from competition, but, you know, 10 years of playing the dynasty-level team when uh, some teams in the West aren't hitting them at all, uh, you start to see the schedule balance out a little bit and, and be a favorable draw this year. Brett, with a few minutes left here, let's briefly talk about Iowa because it, it seems a lot of publications around the country are putting Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska as that top three in the Big Ten West, at least on paper. And Iowa, I think we know what they're going to bring defensively, and that's going to be a, a unit that's uh, not going to allow many yards, going to be very tough to go beat. But the offense is a big question mark with this Iowa team. Is, is that a fair assessment of what they, they bring? You, you know what they're going to get from the defense, but they're going to go as far as their offense can take them. Yeah, it's funny, Chris. I mean, for my preview book, I could probably just copy and paste it every year for Iowa. Uh, it's, it's the same formula, and that's, also, that's a compliment and also a, a limitation because the defense is incredible. I mean, they lead the, the country in interceptions and turnovers, uh, takeaways over X amount of years. They do it every single year, um, and that reloads again. It's, it could be Phil Parker's best defensive line, if not the deepest he's had there. So they're going to be strong in the front seven again. They're ball hawking in the secondary. They have great special teams. I mean, you guys saw the block punt touchdown in the Nebraska-Iowa game. Uh, they flip the field and always have short fields to deal with. Those two sides of the ball are great. It's that offense that's just stuck in the mud again. It's the same personnel, a quarterback, the third straight year of uh, Spencer Petras versus Padilla. Um, I, I, neither one has shined. They both had their moments. Uh, they both had their chances, I should say. They also lose a Remington winner up front in Tyler Linderbaum. He was a first-rounder in the NFL draft. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's the same thing, and uh, they, that was the best form possible last year of Iowa, and I just I don't think they can sustain that uh, two years in a row. So um, a lot of close wins for them. Nebraska had the close losses. Those tend to mar- uh, you know to marginalize out, 50-50 out. So um, I, I think Iowa's still a strong team, but they're going to take a little step back. Iowa's been so good in those close ball games because of their special teams. That's been that phase of the ball game that's prevailed more times than not in tight ball games bill bush in nebraska looking to flip things and and uh, be competent on special teams brett we're up against a hard break and i keep you a couple of minutes on the other side to hit on the big 10 east do you have a couple minutes yeah sure that All sounds right. great to me thank right. you sounds good hang on brett sianka with his pick six previews college football preview and we're talking big 10 uh 
when we talk about the East, Brett, no one has dethroned them in the Big Ten title game. And uh, who do you think pushes Ohio State? I, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb and say I'm assuming you have Ohio State picked to win the East. Yeah, Ohio State is my selection to win the East, uh, win the Big Ten, and actually return to the playoff. Um, I know they missed it last year, uh, due in part to their, their weak rushing uh, defense against two teams, Oregon and Michigan. They, those teams really pushed them around. Ryan Day cleared, uh, cleared house on defense. He fired the whole staff except for one, uh, one coach, uh, brings in the best defensive coordinator in the game, or one of, uh, in Jim Knowles, who helped turn around Oklahoma State into a top-five defense last year. and A team that Oklahoma State usually think of putting up 60 a game and winning shootouts in the Big 12, but uh, they were one of the best defenses out there. So, uh, And they return a lot of uh, five-star and, and blue-chip potential on defense. So look for a well-rounded team led by a Heisman favorite in C.J. Stroud and that best uh, nation-best receiving core. So they're going to put up a lot of points. Can Michigan reclaim that magic that they had last season and give Ohio State a run for their money this year? Uh, they certainly can. I still have Michigan ranked sixth nationally. I, I, you know, I have Ohio State winning the East, but I have Michigan second and sixth overall. Um, you know, that uh, that game against Ohio State wasn't an accident. This, that was their goal for 365 days. Um, you know, I, I had heard that Harbaugh put in a drill, a practice at the end of every practice, where you blare the Smash Mouth heavy metal music and you just do a physical one-on-one drill, a goal line drill, and he called it the Beat Ohio drill. But basically, back uh, you know, 11 months later in November, we watched a three-hour rendition of the Beat Ohio drill. It was just running in between the tackles. Uh, they were running at will. Um, and a lot of that comes back. Four, starting, uh, four starters in the offensive line are back. Both, quarter, both quarterbacks, uh, Blake Corum at running back returns. And, um, it's really a question of can they replace eight starters on defense. So that, that's a big question mark. Enough to move them down a notch in the East Division, but uh, definitely still contenders with their physicality. Brett, uh, where are we at uh, between Michigan State and Penn State? Does Sparty get the nod? They they hit it out of the park with the portal, and, and Mel did a great job last season going 11-2. and two. Yeah, I actually flipped those two. I have Penn State third and then Michigan State fourth, and um, it's not to take away from what he pulled off last year. It was one of the biggest uh, year-over-year win increases ever, uh, going plus nine in the win column. So incredible turnaround last year with Mel, Mel Tucker at Michigan State. But when you look at a lot of their games, watch their games, look at the stats, um, a lot of them were, I don't want to say fluky, but uh, they were one-score tight games. The Nebraska game comes to mind where Nebraska dominated that second half, didn't allow a single first down, but uh, one bad punt goes for a touchdown and flips the game results. So uh, long story short, Penn State was on the other side of that, a lot of one-score losses. Um, I think they're a more proven product for 2022 uh, better recruiting program. They just signed a top-five recruiting class. They're best in 20 years out there. So, um, yeah, I think Penn State moves back up the ladder and uh, and takes down Michigan State a notch. Brett, does James Franklin have any reason for concern if this season doesn't live up to expectations out in Happy Valley? I think that uh, – so I'm based out of Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm not a Penn Stater, but I'm, I'm around a lot of them, alumni and former players, everything. And um, I think that this recruiting class bought him an extra year. Uh, you know, the, the, the pressure leading up to last year was, hey, you got to start signing the top in-state talent. you got to win the state. Pennsylvania produces a lot of uh, blue-chip talent, and uh, they were getting away. But this uh, 2022 class he just signed in February was number five in the country, kept all those in-staters at home, a lot of five-star guys, skilled players all over the roster. So um, I think that buys him an extra year. You know, get those guys on campus and see how it turns out over the next two-year sample. But, um, I mean, I hope it's on a hot seat because they just signed a – huge contract a 10-year deal i can't even imagine what the buyout is there 
they'd be underwater for a while. So um, I don't think there's too much pressure. You want to start winning those one-score games. It's kind of like Nebraska. They had five one-score losses at Penn State last year. So uh, flip those tight games, and you have a whole different uh, narrative, a whole different season for Penn State. Brett, before we get you out of here, I know you're a Heisman voter, and we had a couple Heisman candidates in the Big Ten last season, and C.J. Stroud and Kenneth Walker. And I, I want to get your take. We, we assume C.J. Stroud's going to be another Heisman candidate this year, probably Jackson Smith and Jigba too. Any other guys that you're watching preseason as potential Heisman guys in the Big Ten? Yeah, well, everyone's got their the favorites, and I think a more interesting bit would be, um, you know, who are the dark horses that no one's looking at? And I, I look at explosive, high-scoring offenses that are going to have big stack guys at quarterback, and two of them pop out in my research. Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, he was top five in quarterback efficiency last year, and it's, it's this up-tempo. No one goes at a faster pace uh, statistically than Tennessee. Uh, going to put up a ton of yards and touchdowns. Another guy, a dual threat, Malik Cunningham in Louisville. Um, you know, he, he's drawing Lamar Jackson uh, comparisons. He put up 20 rushing touchdowns last year. That's more than Kenneth Walker, a, a running back, that won the Walker Award. So, um, you know, of course, the team's success goes a long way in that. They're both going to have to make runs into the 9 or 10 win range, which is our, which are big ifs. But uh, if so, they're, they're in that category. Brett, Utah's uh, one of your playoff teams. You've got Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and the, the, the Utes. Uh, Woody Ham's been an incredible coach. I know their quarterback returns. Uh, you feel pretty good about their lines of scrimmage, or do you think it, it's more of it's Oregon and, and Utah and then kind of everybody else in the Pac-12? What's, uh, what, what sold you most on Utah? Well, it's a couple of things. Uh, they're a very proven product year after year. They lead my, my metrics in player development and win conversion, and that sounds boring, but what it is is they do more with less. Uh, on signing day, they're signing somewhere in the 40 range, but they're producing a ton of NFLers and wins. So uh, they do it year in and year out. Now you return one of the best offenses in America. Um, Cam Rising, quarterback, really shifted that program when he was put in in week four, um, and you saw him in that Rose Bowl going shot for shot with Ohio State. So uh, I think they're a proven team. And they have a favorable schedule this year uh, compared to the other contenders like Clemson or NC State or Miami uh, or the Big 12 teams like Oklahoma, Baylor, Texas. Utah, really, it's a two-team schedule. It's if you can beat, Utah, if you can beat USC and beat Oregon. Uh, and that Florida game is the wild card in the opener down in the swamp. But uh, I think that they go 12-1, and one, and as a one-loss champ, they'd be in the bracket. Brett Sianka, Pick 6 Previews. Get the hard copy at uh, Pick 6 Previews on Twitter, pick6previews.com. Log on today. Brett, awesome to get caught up again. We'll talk soon, and uh, thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, guys. Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor. I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Subscribe to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Back with you, weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. 
We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Sharpie, 35 days, man, till kickoff. How are we doing? Good. You know what? This is the last uh, time we will talk that there will not be like football stuff going on in this state. I know. And uh, it's uh, it's wonderful <laughs> that we're so close to. Uh, <laughs> we've made it. Yeah, we've made it for sure. We're, we're, we're going to see that goal line, that finish line, and a lot to get into with, uh, with Nebraska and uh, media days on the horizon. I want to start off in the world of recruiting, though, and uh, get your reaction to, to Malachi Coleman, Lincoln East product, top dude on, on Nebraska's board that's uh, still uncommitted, moving up his, uh, his commitment date uh, to, well, to, uh, to October 15th from, uh, from what was supposed to be December. What's your take? Well, so this is just my opinion. Um, I have been pretty solid that Malachi is going to go to Nebraska for a long time, even with the dabbling with Oklahoma and Michigan and some of the great offers that he has gotten. Is I think the official visit back in June and who he was here on his official visit with and who he got to be around has said it changed a lot of things. That kind of solidified it for Nebraska. Now, as long as Nebraska has a football program next year. I believe that Malachi Coleman will be part of it. Unless Nebraska football decides to dissolve the sport and not have anything in the fall, then Malachi Coleman will not be at Nebraska. But Mickey Joseph will be at Nebraska regardless in 2023. And so I believe that his relationship with Malachi is super strong. And, you know, from, the, from the, just looking at it, when you have a prospect like that that you have spent a lot of time with that has come down and has hung out with your guys, um, you know, it's important that you reel him in. It almost, to a point, and again, this is my opinion, feels like a silent commitment that he has told Nebraska that he is in because you look at Nebraska and how they're recruiting in wide receivers and maybe a spot here or two that could have been open, but they're saving it for Malachi. So I believe that on October 15th, barring any major change, he will say yes to Nebraska. Gary, really fast, sorry to jump ahead of you there, Mark, but you said something interesting. You said regardless in 2023, Mickey Joseph will be at Nebraska. And is that regardless of what happens on the field this season? If Nebraska is 4-8, and eight, you think Mickey Joseph's still going to be at Nebraska come 2023? Yes. Uh, you, don't, you don't uproot your family in Louisiana to come to Nebraska for one year without, a, without some type of a commitment. Gary Sharp with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, now, Gary, you, you mentioned that Mickey Joseph will be back in 2023 regardless. Look, contracts say one thing all the time, right? It's just, oh, yeah, signed through 2030, but you can still get rid of people. But you, are, you're confident that he's back regardless of what happens with Frost? I believe whatever happens this year, you know, and, and hopefully this isn't a scenario, scenario we're talking about, that Mickey will have, if Mickey would like to stay, he's going to stay. Um, And I think if you're looking at Nebraska football moving forward, regardless of who the head coach is, Mickey Joseph needs to be part of it. Mickey Joseph, the way he is recruiting, the way he's evaluating, the kind of energy that he brings to the program and the other intangibles, you you got to keep him in your program. Again, Mickey Joseph at this point is clear. Guys, he didn't leave the family in Louisiana. The whole family came to Lincoln. They didn't come here for one year. They came here for a commitment to Nebraska football. Nebraska football, and that's why I believe that as long as he wants to stay here, he'll stay here. Gary Sharp's with us, the Iron Horse at Tail Varsity Radio. Sharpie, a lot of intrigue with this Nebraska football season, and let's uh, spend a minute here on 
Well, the, the, the quarterback spot and those guys that protect the quarterback, the offensive line, that's one of the position groups that has been zeroed in on. You know, what are you hearing, if anything, about the health of the, the two projected tackles? How are things moving along for, for Big Ted and, and a guy like Turner Corcoran? Now, what's the word uh, say you? You know, I think, you know, first of all, Teddy's a Sunday guy. And, you know, whenever you have a knee injury like he had, you got to be really, really careful. But he, is, he has gone through all of the steps, and he's made the progress, and he's hit the dates of, of when he's supposed to be here, here, and there. And, you know, he's one of those guys who's going to be tough to keep off the field. So I think he will be full go 35 days from now. But you're going to have to watch him a little bit. And then I think another thing to keep in mind with Teddy, and I love Teddy. I, I, I think Teddy has, has really, really changed my opinion because I worried about him after a senior year in high school watching him play. But he got to a place where he's got good competition coming at him every day, and he responded, and he's a Sunday guy. But he still hasn't played a lot of football, even though part of the football that he has played is trying to hold off a monster like Aiden Hutchinson. So I think Teddy will be fine. He's just going to need to play some football, and you're going to have to keep a little bit of an eye on him in terms of his snaps and where that knee is and how he feels. Now, on the other side, that's the great mystery. I mean, you're not fooling anybody if you say, hey, my biggest concern going into this season is what Nebraska has at offensive line and what they have at safety because they have a lot of unknowns on the offensive line. You are replacing Cam Jurgens. You might have you might have taken Cam Jurgens through the ringer in his career at Nebraska, but let's be honest, Cam Jurgens was, was about the only solid thing going on that offensive line from week to week last year. Don't just overnight. Now, the tackle spot opposite Teddy is a concern because, you know, what what are you getting out of Bryce Benhart? Are you getting the Bryce Benhart from two years ago, or are you getting the Bryce Benhart from last year? Can you get something that's in between but leans more towards 2019? Can Donovan Riola uncork something in him to get him to play to his ability? Um, because then there's like a domino effect, guys. You know this, that if Benhart works out a tackle, okay, then you might have some options with Turner Corcoran. Does Turner Corcoran go inside where he feels more comfortable? But what if Benhart isn't able to lock down that right tackle spot, does that mean that, okay, Corcoran's back in play and that kind of messes things up? And is, is Ben Hart then kind of that's the last gas? So that's one of the more interesting position battles that's going to happen over the course of, of camp. But I think ideally for Nebraska, they would like Bryce Benhart to win that job and then they'll be able to do something with Corcoran maybe at a guard spot to keep him in the lineup as well. Gary Sharp is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Go over to the other side of the ball, and one of the touted transfers coming in, O'Shawn Mathis, out of TCU. And stats are one thing. you got to look at the context of the whole team, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like this guy put up incredible numbers last year. Now listen to this. Five quarterback hurries, five, three pass breakups, and then sack-wise, he was at... What was he at? He was at four. I, yet people are talking about him as this true pass rusher that's going to really change things on the defensive line for Nebraska. Are, are we maybe putting a little too much stock in the impact that O'Shawn Mathis will have, or was it because he was part of a bad defense that he just got double teamed a lot? I, I'm just not seeing the production to warrant maybe the hype that we're hearing about him. 
So if you, and, and that is very valid, Mark. I mean, you know, I, I thought the same thing in your first glance at his numbers. And then you, then you go back another year and you're like, okay, who is this guy? Now, I think there's part of, you know, it, it became a position of need for Nebraska. Nebraska beat Texas. And when Texas is involved, it ratchets it up the attention on someone. Here's, here's what I'm, I, I, personally, they just need him to be very, very good. Do they need him to be all Big Ten? Well, that would be ideal. But I don't think they need to have him come in and be a world beater. Um, but I'll be very curious on his impact because he'll draw some attention. I mean, Nebraska, their edge guys are going to go against maybe the best offensive tackle they'll see all year opening day for Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern has a first-round offensive tackle. So what does it do? What is the impact of O'Shawn Mathis on a Garrett Nelson or a Caleb Tanner? You know, whoever's playing opposite of him. But my, I expect Mathis to be a contributor, Mark, but I'm not ready to go, man, he's going to be the most dominant guy in the Big Ten, and he will be the number one impact transfer. I just need him to be solid week in and week out. Gary Sharp is with us here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Gary, when you look at how this defense stacks up right now, do you see a potential all-conference guy on the defense guy that the offenses are going to have to come into a, to a week uh, of game prep and say, this is the guy that we have to prepare for. If we don't take care of him, he's going to cause some issues. Well, you would love to say Garrett Nelson, and because of that's a position where you can look at numbers and performance and go, okay, there's an all-Big Ten guy. But I will tell you, I think it is a good sign for Nebraska if their two inside linebackers are garnering all Big Ten. I think Luke Reimer is the best football player on this roster, just pure football player. Luke Reimer is that guy. And if you can get Reimer, who is still battling a little bit, he's got a little uh, hiccup in his uh, step, um, but he'll be ready to go next week. And then you get Nick Henrich, who had a full healthy season. If those two guys can play again, keep them healthy, play over 700 snaps again and give you the productivity that they gave you last year and maybe step up their game a little bit, if they were in the neighborhood of getting all Big Ten honors, I think that's a huge, huge sign of where this defense is for Nebraska. And think about it, in the Big Ten, those two guys are going to get a lot of car collisions coming at them, and how they handle them will go a long way in what Nebraska does. Gary Sharp is with us. Weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharp, let's go to the safety spot. And uh, you've got some candidates. Uh, you're wondering if, if Farmer can solidify part of that back end. You've got Deshaun Singleton that's gotten some praise. Buford also is a guy that has, uh, has flashed and impressed Travis Fisher. Concern or do you think there, there's enough choices there to, to kind of reload in that secondary as we look at 2022? Yeah, it's, uh, as I said, offensive line and safety are my major concern, and I'm really concerned about safety. Travis Fisher has coached himself into some options, recruited himself into some options, but there's some major unknowns before you play 35 days from now. And you would, you would hope it would be that Miles Farmer because he's played a lot of football, but what Miles Farmer are you getting? Because you can't have the Miles Farmer in the last half of last year. You can't have a guy that can't get lined up right and can't tackle. I mean, you're just asking for it. And you also have to be cognizant. That's a position that had a couple of NFL guys playing last year. I, guys, we're, as we go through the season, it's going to become pretty clear, even with Newsom and maybe another new face back there, 
man, Nebraska defensive backs bailed them out a lot last year. And it's not like you just flip it overnight and we go, hey, Travis Fisher's got this taken care of. Well, he may, but not initially, because he's replacing three basically NFL guys and a lockdown cornerback. But safety is a position that is wide open, but they've got to figure it out. I wonder how many comfortable candidates they'll have when they play 35 days from now. And then does that impact what kind of a defense they play in the back end? You know, do they play more of a specialty defense um, where they get an extra player on the field that is one of those hybrid guys that's been cross-trained to play safety and cornerback? But safety is a concern, um, and you'd like down sooner than later in camp, in my opinion. Well, you said it, Gary, that, I mean, Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams, they missed a few, Dismuke in particular, missed a couple tackles here and there, but there were very few, like, just busts where yep. there was a guy, they were generally in the right spot, and they generally made the tackle. Pretty solid safeties overall. Now coming into this year, there's a guy that I think everybody was super excited about when he committed. Athletically, he looks fantastic. He was in the U.S. Army All-American game talking about Noah Pola Gates. He has gotten very little playing time. Does that come down to what you alluded to of just being in the right spot and being there consistently? Is that what's holding him back? Um, that would be one of the major things. Um, you know, he's a guy that had a hit for Nebraska and you've gone this long in your career, and you haven't found a way to get on the field for meaningful snaps. And the thing that worries me this far into his career is the thing that's holding him back is knowing the defense and properly getting himself aligned and where to be in a particular defensive call. You've been here for a while. You've had the same position, Coach. Um, I, and, you know, I don't think he's in the top four at safety, and that can't happen. He's a guy that, as you alluded to, was highly recruited, and that just adds kind of a another you know another question into the mix at safety is he's a guy right now that I thought would be starting and we'd be talking a lot about, but I I don't see him playing a lot this year, guys, unless he makes a a great turnaround. And I think simply it's not the athletic ability; it's just simply the knowledge of the game and where to be at a particular time. And that's too bad because he's he's a good representative for Nebraska. Um, he wants to be here. It would have been easy for him to take off. I just don't know how he finds a way onto the field when there's meaningful snaps. Gary, uh, like, it's like Ricky Tenars, right? Okay. Yeah, it's and, and you know what? And in a, if you maybe can hide a guy like that, guys, if you're really, really good in the back end. But when you're trying to find the right people and you don't have any knowns, man, you can't have that wild card out there that that is going to be a, you know a fifty-fifty guy from play to play. Gary Sharps with us, couple more minutes, weekend edition of Tale Varsity Radio. Gary, uh, one of the, the stories this week was Pat Narduzzi on Mark Whipple. Uh, surprised that Narduzzi went there, mountain out of a molehill, or were you intrigued by uh, the comments on the podcast, uh, kind of throwing uh, Whipple under the bus? Well, you got to – let's start with Narduzzi. Um, how many casual football fans, by the way, know that Pitt is the defending ACC champion? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is one that has been very difficult on his offensive coordinators. He's a defensive guy, so he doesn't like the quick tempo three and out, put his defense back out there. He crushed Matt Canda. He fired Sean Watson. 
He essentially wasn't going to renew the contract with Mark Whipple. And I think there's part of, oh, Whipple left here for a better job, doubled his salary. I'm going to show him. We're going to hire this guy from B.C. We're going to be fine. I don't need a Heisman Trophy finalist. I don't need a Bolitnikov award winner. I think part of what he said the other day is, you know, something that is, you know, you're in the offseason. You're on a podcast. Your fans, too, you know, for 19 and 20 were clamoring to run the ball more when Pittsburgh Wonder Whipple was a little bit more pass-happy. But at the end of the day, an offensive coordinator is going to play to his team's strengths. His team's strength is a quarterback and a wide receiver. He played to that. You won the ACC. I found it as an odd spot in this offseason to pick to go after Mark Whipple. But I think at the end of the day, guys, anything he said about Whipple – We have concerns about being pass-happy, overrun, what's going to happen, what's the balance going to be. This became personal. It's petty. It's something that's probably lingered for a few years in Pittsburgh. And I'm on a podcast, and all of a sudden, I go, hey, this is what I'm going to talk about. Because if you you listen to it, it was really unsolicited that that the the hosts weren't going, hey, let's talk about your former OC. Now, Jesse kind of gave it up himself. I'm going to follow up with that real quick. Now, let's fast forward to 2022 with Whipple in Nebraska. What do you think he wants his strength to be as an offensive coordinator when you look at this Nebraska offense? Well, I think the intermediate passing game to be very strong, get the ball out quick, be able to run the ball when you want to run the ball. You know, there's – and, and you, you probably, if you put him on the spot and said, what are you going to – What are, if I say play to your strengths for this offense, Coach, what is it? He may not know for sure right now. He may know what he wants to do, but may not know in crunch time what he can rely on. You know, we all say, well, will he be 50-50? Here's, here's the big thing for me, is they'll play to their strengths, and you'll play to the capability of the people that you want to have the football. Not like we've gone through the last couple of years of, I'm just going to call plays to call plays, because I think this is what works here. Play to the capability of the person that is throwing the football, handing off the football, running with the football, catching the football. I think Whipple will be good there. But what I'm going to be watching, guys, in terms of running the football, because with the unknown of the offensive line, I think the running backs are going to be better. I think this team will be better on offense just by how they play the game, how they will run routes, how they will see holes, how they will have balance, how they will keep their blocks, those kind of things will all be a better this year is what does Nebraska do on standard rundowns? Because teams in the West Division run the ball on standard rundowns 64% of the time. The national average is 59%. On standard rundowns, is that going to be a pass at Nebraska, or are they going to run the ball, and are they going to run the ball to set up the pass, or vice versa? And what does it look like at the beginning of the game? Because the one thing that you look at with Whipple throughout his history, and you're talking about four decades as head coach and OC, is – there will be times that he will throw a lot in the first half, and then he will salt the game away by running the ball in the second half. Will we see those kind of dynamics and breakdowns as the season goes on? Gary Sharp is with us on Hale Varsity Radio as we break down the Huskers 35 days away from kicking off with Northwestern in Ireland. Um, let's take a look at the running back spot. You just alluded to it. And it kind of seems like a four-horse race, if I'm not mistaken. I think you have Jacquez Yant in the mix. You have Anthony Grant in the mix. Uh, You have Ramir Johnson, who played pretty well last year. And then coming off of the knee injury, um, you got the, I guess, 
man, I, I don't know with COVID and everything else if he'll be considered a freshman or not again, but Gabe Irvin Jr. is also in that mix. What about like an Emmett Johnson and A.J. Allen, the true freshman coming in? Do you think they have a chance? It seems like Nebraska is stocked with its best collection of running backs that it has had in some time. How do you think it shakes out? I agree. It's deep, and I think there's a a, a plan for how they're going to use the running backs. I think the two young running backs – at some point this year, you're going to see him, but not initially. I mean, I love A.J. Allen. I think A.J. Allen is the future at that position for Nebraska, but not necessarily this year. Um, I think Anthony Grant probably goes into camp next week as the, as the front runner. And then there is Gabe Irvin. Then there's Ramirez Johnson together. And then Slimmy Ant is the fourth guy. Now, I wonder, guys, do you think this year that Ramirez Johnson – will catch more footballs than he runs, or will it be close to even, considering how they want to use him in the slot and the kind of hands that he has, that he ran it 112 times last year. He caught 16, but it's not going to be his quarterback run heavy this year. What does that do to Ramirez's numbers? Again, do you guys think that he will catch the ball as much as he runs the ball or even has more reception than he has rushes? Sharpie, I think he's going to be – Right there. I think he's going to be right there when it comes to receiving. I think they, and I know that was a, a really good nugget this week that, yeah, they're going to put him in the slot potentially and let him just do his thing and isolate. Let's get a matchup on a linebacker or safety. He, how good was he on the wheel route? I mean, think, how, think of the, the impact of that Michigan game uh, with him. And I love his toughness. I mean, I love how he, he runs bigger than he is. I love that. Now, durability-wise, you know, he got dinged up the last two games of the season. But, no, I think you, you hit on something big there. You can have your your every down back in, in the rugged Big Ten, but you can also have a, a difference maker, a body type, Sharpie, uh, at that uh, slot spot that could really do some damage to defenses. Yeah, I, I think there'll be chess pieces. You know, he's, a, he's another chess piece you have that with good hands and good speed, that if you get the ball in space in his hands, what can he do for you? Um, I'm very curious. I, you know, I want to see more of Grant. I want to see Gabe Irvin. I think it was a great sign that he's made progress from a – I mean, guys, that's a year injury at his knee. Mm-hmm. And he's probably five weeks from today at least going to get a carry or two or maybe even more against uh, Northwestern. Yant is the wild card in all this, I believe, because we don't necessarily know what he's going to be like slim down and how they're going to use him. Like, what, what will be the moment in a series that you go, man, that's perfect for Yant. That's something we don't know. But I will tell you, I think that that running back room is in a better spot because they're better organized and they have a better plan and everybody knows what's being required of them. Um, and I and I, I said I said this earlier this week on my show. We talked a lot about Mickey. We started talking about Mickey at the beginning of this uh, interview. Brian Applewhite, by the end of the year, I think will prove to be one of the most important assistant coaches, regardless if they're new or they've been here for a while. Totally agree with that. It's Gary Sharp, Weekend Edition, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharpie, have yourself a weekend, bud. Uh, we get kicked off soon, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up next weekend. Thanks so much for a few minutes. Hey, appreciate it, guys. There he is. Gary Sharp with us. Cranach, uh, make sure you apply the sunscreen today. It's, it's, it's time, yes. Good call. <laughs>
<laughs> Elijah, be good. Uh, back at you Monday on Hale Varsity. A Huda Media Production.